Being true to myself. And a lot of my self-care goes back to Barney, back to the Nadar, which is the grace of Vaheguru. It's just sometimes taking a step back. Welcome to Core Collective's second episode of the series on Power of Self. This podcast audio is from a live event that took place in 2019. In episode 2, three Sikh women speak about their connection to Sikhi, their voice and their positive influences growing up. Core Collective asks, what has helped them stay more grounded to their selves and faith? The cores look back at incidents in their lives where they experience self-doubt and share how they learn to overcome those thoughts. Hello, listeners. This is episode two of Core Collective's podcast series on Power of Self. The title of this episode is Being True to Myself. In episode one, Simi, Devi, and Harsharan share their identity struggles. In episode two, they tell Core Collective how they navigated their lives relying on the true teachings of Sikhi. They speak about aspects that kept them connected to their true purpose. Simi recalls having thoughts of not being good enough as a UN judge but listened to her voice that asked, why not me? And diminished her self-doubts. You know, I, I can look at this from a variety of ways. I really feel that to navigate our modern times, we have to harness conversations, lived experiences, and find commonalities. How have you as cores wrestled with your connection to Sikhi and the other identities that you also have? Well, like I was saying, so when I say recently, like maybe in the last five years or so, I have really discovered Sikhism, Barney. I went to Khalsa school as a child, but I hated it so much. I didn't learn one word of Punjabi. Like I did not learn anything. And that's not something to brag about, but I just hated it so much. You would come home and you're watching TV. Like I would watch Saved by the Bell, Full House. And I looked nothing like those people. And I was going to a school where I had to wear this uniform, but I could not relate to anybody there. I remember that I would, for a Punjabi class, you would have to stand up. Everybody would take a turn and have to read a paragraph. And I used to go home the day before, the night before, and memorize. I would make my mom read the story to me over and over again. So I could memorize my part. I couldn't read the Punjabi. Yeah, even and then in high school, I mixed being a Sikh with being Punjabi, which are completely different things. And I didn't know better. And all my dislike is for the culture, some parts of the culture. I simplified it and I thought it was, I thought it was the actual Barney and Sikhism. So not until I was in my early 20s and our grandmother moved in, my dad's mom, because she had a heart attack, was suffering from dementia, She's still around. She's 95. Did I find more interest in a learning the language because I needed to connect with her and also trying to figure out who I was. And so the very simple thing was, you know, going to Kwantlen and taking Punjabi 101 and 102 to kind of really just learn how to, how to read the language. And then slowly, very slowly, I started meeting people who were going through this similar struggle as I was and taking really simple concepts like, like the Anand Saib or Japchi Saib and really figuring out, okay, what's actually being said here? God isn't some male 
Like God isn't a man just sitting somewhere who's judging me if I'm a good or bad person. Like God isn't the person when I go to the Godwara and there's a male sitting there who doesn't look like me, who I can't even understand. It's something that was forced upon me. Um, and then really just kind of learning learning and dissecting for myself. So that's, that's kind of been my uh, journey so far, thus far. I'm still learning. I'm still learning. Um, the older I get, I am really finding uh, the research and the educational side of Sikhism. And I am still trying to connect that with the actual word and what it's at, what's, being, what's being said. I have one specifically for you, Simi. You're a lawyer. So impressed that you're a judge on the UN tribunal. I want to know who taught you to exercise your voice and power in this world? And what's been your journey to get to that point? I think the the simple answer is is my parents. Um, they gave me the confidence and the support um, to think I could be anything I want to be, even though I was a girl. <laughs> um, because certainly growing up, um, there was that culture in our community where, you know, there was two of uh, two girls in our family and one boy and and everybody was focused on on the boys in the family right uh, but my parents weren't like that they they told um, us their daughters that they could be any anything they wanted to be and um, if you know they gave gave us that support and confidence but that doesn't mean that I had had that confidence that had to come over time um, you know, going through school and checking the boxes. I'm a box checker. So, you know, graduate, check, undergrad, check, you know, law school, check. Um, and so that's what I ended up doing is checking the boxes. And as I checked those boxes, I realized that, yeah, I could do this. Um, I'm as good as anybody else. And uh, why not me? Why can't I, you know, apply for that uh, job? And um, why can't I go to the United Nations? And why not me? Um, and so that's sort of come over many, many years of um, trying, failing um, sometimes and succeeding sometimes. Can I ask you the same question? Who taught you to exercise your voice and power in this world? And what's been your journey? So my voice and power, it has, has to be my parents. Even though my sisters are younger than me, they have different strengths than I do. So they kind of taught me, you know, have more voice and power also. I feel sometimes you don't have to have a voice to get your point across. So that's where I kind of come in with different things. I sometimes don't even have to say it but I just do it. Just be powerful in your emotions, powerful in the way you are as a person to show your stand. But I have a lot of weaknesses too. And sometimes, yeah, I don't have a voice. I'll be honest with you. <laughs> I don't have a voice, but I have the emotion. So that gets me through life, my strength and emotion. But I don't really say too much because I feel like I'm going to hurt people. So I do it in a different way. That's also taught from my parents. That's what they kind of taught me in their own ways. I have to say I can relate to that. My parents didn't show me how to use my voice. They navigate through life with this gingerly approach to not create conflict, 
just themselves get removed from situations and to give people the benefit of the doubt. They're always looking at things from a very positive perspective. And I feel like that has intertwined in my life for me and I, I think for my siblings as well. Well, I have a mother-in-law, father-in-law, I'm married. I live in a joint family. The voice doesn't help sometimes, so I don't have a voice. My mother-in-law always tells people, Davy here, she always listens. She's so nice. She always listens. She always says, yes, mom, I'll do it. I do it. But at the end, she does what she wants. But I never upset them by using my voice and just offending them. But at the end, I do what I want, and then they understand. But I didn't have to use my voice. So that's my example. I'm going to switch it up for you a little bit. Who's influenced you to show up in the world? So in my teenage years, when I looked at my parents, they were not my role models. They were not people who I was aspiring to be. And that probably had to do with just being a teenager, to be honest. Probably like 70% of that was just, I was a teenager and I wanted to do what I wanted to do as a middle child. I was this tomboy. I used to climb trees, play with the boys. So that was just already not what my mom or my dad wanted me to be. And that's completely changed now. Now, when I look back at those years, I realized the strength and patience in my parents that I didn't know in that moment. It's grace, the way they handle things. It's the resiliency. It's the sacrifice. It's being patient. It's being loving. And I did not understand that. I had no idea what was going on, <laughs> but now I do. And I wanna be just like them with my friends, my family. Um, so it's a full circle moment. Like my mom is my best friend and my dad is my biggest role model. I just didn't get it back then because we were speaking different languages. We were vibing at different vibrations, different energies. You know, they had freshly just come from India and I'm this like teenager and we are speaking like, I don't want to look like you. I don't want to dress like you. I don't want to eat your food. I don't want to speak your language, but you're my parents, frankly. So my role models was, this, this might sound silly, was Tupac. It was hip hop, <laughs> was Maya Angelou, was Oprah Winfrey, because I would go to school, come back, and it was either Days of Our Lives or Oprah that would start at four. And so a lot of my strength in my teenage years came from Oprah, which sounds silly, but you know she was saying all the things that I was feeling. And Tupac was talking about you know not being heard, the struggles of being black in America, you know the injustice. And although I couldn't put myself in his shoes, I could definitely talk about not being heard in my community or in my family, the injustice of you know, being a woman or a girl in our community, but also the trauma and the injustice that my parents brought over from India in the 80s and, you know, history, the trauma. So that's kind of where like my strength and my power came from until I got older. When I was younger, I was like a tornado. And I still, I'm still equally as forceful as like as strong as that. But as I've gotten older and wiser and matured, that power has changed. It comes with more grace and more understanding. And sometimes the biggest impact you can have is not taking a step into things, but taking a step out 
and looking at things through lens of love and understanding. That sounds really cheesy, but it's true. And that's where now I can say my role models are my parents. And because I can relate to them more now, I understand where they're coming from now. I appreciate when my dad makes a reference about Guru Nanak or like historical figures. I appreciate my mom waking up in the morning and at night and doing bot. And she's done that since the day I was born. Through the good days, the bad days, she's never been like, well, this isn't working for me. I'm going to stop. She's just always done it. And so those are my role models now, but still definitely a little bit of hip hop. <laughs> I do have a question for Simi. When you decided, you know, you become a lawyer and then you take the next level of be, wanting to become a judge, did anybody ever tell you like, no, you know, that's, 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 that's pretty good. Like, why don't you just stop where you are and think about your children or your family or anything like that? I don't think anybody said that expressly, but we all have those thoughts in our head saying, you know, you're really not good enough. Like, why are you, why do you want to do this? Because you're not good enough. And we all have these, you know, thoughts that come into our head, the self-doubt. And I just learned, I've learned over the years to um, listen to them, but then listen to the other voice in my head saying, why not me? And that's sort of where I've come to now after all these years is to say, why not me? And and I hope that's what I can impart on my daughters. I have three daughters. Two of them are in law school right now. They can do whatever they want that, you know, if, if they want to do something, why not them uh, to take that step, to make that effort to, to do it? You might fail, but you know, you might succeed. If that's, you know, one message that I'm, I'm sort of saying to my daughters and to other women out there and uh, is think about why not me. Think big. Um, don't think small. Um, you are capable. You know, going, I was just in New York a couple of weeks ago for two weeks for our first session and there's judges from all over the world, from Brazil and Germany and Belgium. And I was nervous going in there. This is the first time. And I thought, you know, what, what am I doing here? You know, I don't belong here. But when, when I walked in there and I, and I sat down, we started doing the work, I realized, you know what, I can do this. You know, I should be here. Um, there's a reason I'm here and I, I am capable. Going through that, again, reinforced in my mind, yes, I'm capable and why not me? I think it's still out there, and I and I say that because it's out there uh, when you get to a certain level in society, in our society. I can only speak, you know, in in the legal profession because that's my experience, and and I know there's a lot of lawyers, there's a lot of female lawyers, and you go to law school, over fifty percent are female, you know, in law school. Um, but when you go into um, the higher um, levels of the profession, whether it's you know the partners in the downtown law firms, or when you look on the bench, um, or you know the law society, um, they're they're men, they're white men, and and they're they're the ones making the decisions for that profession. And I still have not seen. Um, that breakthrough, frankly, and and that's disappointing to me. I hope that you know if we keep at it, that we keep you know getting more women and and more uh, women of color and more uh, people from our community in the higher levels. But right now, I'm just not seeing it. Yes, there's been um, progress, but I think there needs more needs to be done. 
thinking outside the box in terms of my career. I didn't go for the downtown law firms and wanting to be a partner because I knew I wasn't going to get there. Um, there is a glass ceiling there. And of course, I was a mother as well. I have four children. And so with young children, I working down in a downtown law firm, it was just not going to be my path. And so I had to trust in finding my own path. And my own path was working in administrative tribunals, being an adjudicator. And that led to me now being chair of my tribunal, which then led me to this other uh, United Nations tribunal. So it was, you know, taking a different route, keeping on that route and, and just persevering and trying to, you know, make my path my own way. It's just hard to show up sometimes um, fully and feel like I can do anything when the reality is in, in various institutions that glass ceiling exists. Um, and to further that in certain institutional settings like school, um, my early experiences of school, I felt small and I've had to really grow, you know, and, and work on myself and self-development. But I still find it challenging to navigate that. Just show up. You can do this. And, but I don't see anyone who looks like me. Um, and then when I do show up, I muster the courage. I have my tribe. I'm so lucky to have my tribe. Um, I go through this, this crash after, like, did I do that? <laughs> Whoa, I showed up. Um, and now I find I reach out to my peeps and go, I did this and I have that strength that I draw from, but it's, it's that navigation of that discrepancy of I can do it, but I don't know, there's no guarantees. Um, and also that vulnerability piece. And, and for me, my practices of embodiment, of, of writing, self-reflection, spiritual practices have helped me feel more grounded. But I guess it's two parts. How do you navigate that discrepancy? And are there practices or things that you do that allow you to feel more grounded in your life um, as you show up fully in different places? I love that. And I think everybody should answer that question. How about we start with you, Harshan? Um, so with me, in regards to the glass ceiling, I felt that, I feel that a lot sometimes in my professional career. I was 21 when I got hired uh, with the RCMP um, as a dispatcher, and now I do something called victim services. A, being a woman, B, being a woman of color. At first, it was really exciting because I was useful. I spoke the language, and I lived in this community. And it was like, it was amazing, like, and I felt super important. And then as I got older and I just kind of took a step back and I was like, wait a minute, there's more to me than just the language that I speak. There's more to me than just uh, the role that I play here. And I want to, and I want more, I want more. And so I was trying to find that. I was asking, I was asking for someone to give it to me. Be it, you know, conversations I was having, training that I was doing, and I kept trying to ask for it. And I, then I, one day I just realized that, no, I'm not going to ask for it. I have to find it myself. My dad always says, opportunity isn't a door that you walk through. Sometimes opportunity is a door that you buy the lumber and the nails you make, and then you walk through, and you then you keep that door open for everyone else to follow you along. And that has stuck with me in everything that I do. And so with me, it was like, okay, if I can't find these opportunities here in this institution, which, you know, it's traditional the way they do things. And it's a lot about who you know and 
what you look like, I found this somewhere else. So with me, it was like, you know, sitting on the board for Amnesty International Canada, or it was working with um, Oxfam or, you know, just doing other things outside of my professional setting. Um, and, you know, working with uh, the Sick Research Institute that I hold very dear and close to my heart these days. Um, I always try to f meet people who can teach me something. It's just anyone. It's different because I was young, you know, I was 21 and it's really easy to be formed and, you know, have those conversations and have foresight. So I guess maybe it was easier for me. Like it, I, maybe it's my privilege that I had like age with me and I was able to do that at a, at a really young age. But yeah, now I've come to this point where it's kind of like I've accepted that yes, I'm a woman. Yes, I'm a South Asian woman or I'm Punjabi. I'm a Sikh. And yes, and I'm, I'm, and I'm this and I'm asking for this and I'm demanding this. And if you, and if there's a glass ceiling, I am either going to break through this glass ceiling or I am going to find another way around it. And sometimes... When I'm in that zone and I'm in these groups, it comes very emotional. It sometimes just becomes a lot, like how you were saying. And so that is when I take a step back and I practice gratitude. That is, I, keep, I say it's a gratitude journal. And at first it actually literally was a gratitude journal. But now it's like in the mornings or when I'm driving to and from um, a call out, working in victim services or just want to have some time. It's just being grateful and thankful and having self-care. And a lot of my self-care goes back to Barney. It goes back to the Nadar, which, you know, which is the grace of Vaheguru or the one force or the creator, whatever you like to call them, call, call the energy. It's just sometimes taking a step back. That's kind of my methods right as of now. I bought the lumber and the nails, the paint, and I put my name on it, and I walk through it. I'm a designer. started about 20 years back, I guess. No one was doing this here, and uh, I had opportunities to design in Mumbai, and then I said, no, I'm going to take it to where we need it and where I'm from. Yes, I'm from India, but I'm a Canadian. I took the risk. I take a lot of risks, and I think the only thing that can happen is you can succeed or you can fail. And when you fail, you learn, and then you try something else. That's what I did. And the glass ceiling, well, for me, it was like kind of my own thing. It wasn't a ceiling. But as time went on, when I was the only designer, there was lots more now, right? Every day, there's more and more. It's a different ball game now. It's like before, it was just me, and I would design. I would design different clothes. We didn't have corsets. We didn't have this, you know, the East and the Canadian, and uh, I did, did the fusion, the Indian mixed together. Everything was new, so it was just my door, my ceiling, my everything. It's like then, you know, more and more people, of course, as we know in time came along and started doing this. But as an artist, I still don't feel there's any glass ceiling because I just create my own stuff. It's a different kind of work. So I didn't have to worry about that part. And if someone's doing something, then I'm thinking of doing more things and different things. As an artist, if it's music or design or anything, you always have, you can't just go in and do exactly what you're doing and, you know, keep doing it. You have to like think of new ideas every day. That's what I do. So I'm always thinking of new ideas. 
I understand exactly your your viewpoint because I think we all have these self doubts that you know I mentioned before that that little voice in our head that's saying you know what are you doing you're not you're not good enough and you know what will people think or you know all of these uh, negative thoughts and I think I've learned over the years to just not listen to them um, and listen to that you know quieter voice in my head saying. Yes, you are capable. You can do it. Um, and if you fail, you fail. Um, and just let it go. I think part of that is I was diagnosed with cancer uh, about seven years ago. So I went through that journey and I realized, and it very quickly puts your priorities in place, you know, very quickly. You, you know, it becomes very crystal clear what your priorities are. And um, so all of these things didn't matter anymore to me. So yeah, you know, if, if I did well with something, that's great. If I didn't, well, it wasn't the end of the world. I still had my health. I, did, I still had my family. I think that helped, you know, under, you know, understanding what, what the, my priorities are. I had to go through that, unfortunately, to get there, but I got there. And that was maybe God's way of, of getting me there. It's, you know, understanding your priorities and, and really realizing what's important in your life. Self-reflection. Who has influenced you to use your power and voice? Did you ever lack faith in yourself? How did you overcome your self-doubts? Did the community ever make you feel that you are lacking? How has Sikhi helped you be your true self? In the next episode, we ponder over Guru Nanak's teaching and its embodiment in our own lives. This is Core Collective's podcast series on Power of Self. Thank you for listening.